Good morning. You know, one of the things I love uh, about worship is whenever you sometimes encounter a song that may be new to some of you, but that last song we sang, how many of you would say that was kind of a new song? You haven't heard that before. Yeah, see, a lot of you would feel that way. And when you feel like it's something new and you don't know it, you kind of feel like an outsider, don't you? You know, that's actually a song that I remember from my childhood. You know, I can go back 20, 30 years ago when I was a child. Come on. Where's the grace in this place, anyway, yeah. I can go back 50, 60 years ago. There we go. (laughs) Some of you are still doubting, aren't you? Yeah. When I was a child, we sang that very song. We just didn't have the drums and the guitars. I love the way we do it today. There's a lot of traditions like that. We're going to talk about one of those in just a few moments. Open your Bibles. There's also an outline that we're going to provide to help you follow me and to get a little more out of the message. My name is Pastor Dale. I'm one of the teaching pastors here along with Ryan and others, and it's my joy to bring you the Word today on this uh, Unified Sunday. So open your Word. Open the Word to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. Pray with me. Father God, thank you so much. Thank you for traditions, young and old, new and old, uh, for some discovered for the first time. Thank you for that truth of that song, that you really did pay it all. You accomplished our forgiveness on the cross. You rose from the dead. We thank you that we can celebrate that today and help us to understand, Father, especially today, the impact that should have in our personal lives. We love you. Love you so much and thank you. In Christ's name, amen. We're talking about traditions and how it can feel awkward if you aren't an insider. You don't know the right answers. It even happens to pastors. I've been a pastor for over 38 years, and I'll never forget uh, discovering a new Easter tradition. I kind of grew up without this one. I grew up celebrating Easter, but... You know, in in my churches, you just kind of went to church on Easter and celebrated Easter. And then I remember I moved to a new church, and I I, I just remember what happened that morning. I got out of my car, and I started walking toward the the church, and people recognized me and were greeting me along the way. It was Easter morning, and some of the people along the way, I remember I passed this guy, and he said, uh, he said, he is risen! And uh, I said, Yeah! Yeah, amen. It's Easter, yeah. And I walked a little further, and I passed the next person. They said, hey, he is risen. And they just kind of looked at me like I should know the answer. And I said, you know, I'm the pastor. I know he's risen. Yeah, I'm, I'm, in, I'm in for it. You, you, got, you betcha he's, he's risen. <laughs> and every person I was passing, they kept using this little greeting, he is risen. And some of you know it, right? So, you know, but, but I want you to know if you don't know it, that's okay because I didn't know it. Because on Easter around the world, I learned that day that a lot of times this happens. The leader says, he is risen. risen Yeah, and they say, he is risen indeed. And for me, it's like, duh. (laughs) I already knew that. Hey, here we go. Am I back? All right, somebody in the back that knows Dave may want to go get here. Dave's working on the overflow. Hi, Dave. Dave's outside. Someone let him know the mic's fading in and out. Here we go. 
But this idea of not really knowing the answers, not knowing the traditions, can kind of shake you up. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Today, however, we're going to talk about a second part of that great truth. Jesus is indeed resurrected. It's a foundation stone of our faith. Uh, it was the proof that it was indeed God, that he did indeed die for our sins, successfully paying the price, and it's God the Father's stamp of approval that Jesus really was the sinless Son of God who could die on a cross, not for his own sins, but for ours, and his resurrection proved it to be true and effective. But today I want to explore with you another implication of that resurrection that doesn't get talked about nearly as much. It's the promise that those who come to faith in Christ put their trust in Him as their Savior are resurrected with Christ. Not will be resurrected with Christ, as in later on after you die or when Christ returns, but that you are resurrected with Christ right now. Now, that's a truth I seldom heard taught on when I was growing up. It's kind of like if you got out of your car today and you started walking across our parking lot and someone said to you, you are risen! How would you answer? Would you answer, I am risen indeed? Or my version, you betcha. <laughs> I like that better. We'll just practice that. You are risen. You betcha. Okay. I, I think we should get t-shirts that say Seacoast, I am risen. On the back it says, you betcha. <laughs> but what's that really mean? What does this idea of being resurrected with Christ really mean, and what difference should it make in our life? Listen to Romans chapter 6 together. Listen to the Word of God. I love this passage. Pick it up in verse 3. Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore, we have been buried with him. That's kind of strange. Buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might idea, be raised to walk in newness of life. For if we have become united with Christ in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also in the likeness of his resurrection. You see, the resurrection of Christ was a reality. It wasn't a religious myth. It wasn't some new idea that didn't have foundation in history and reality. The resurrection is reality for Christ. For example, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 in verses 1 through 8, points out that Jesus' resurrection was a proven fact, not just fiction. Let me just read you a little bit of it. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. It says, Now I make known to you, brethren, the good news, the gospel which I preach to you, which you have also received, in which you now stand. It's the basis of your relationship with God. By which you are saved, if you hold fast the word which I preach to you, unless you believed in vain, for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. And not only that, 
but he appeared to Cephas, which is Peter, and then he appeared to the twelve together as a group, and after that, he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time, most of whom remain until now. They're still alive to bear witness to this. Then he appeared to James, then he appeared to the apostles, and last of all, the apostle Paul writes, he appeared even to me also. See, the resurrection of Christ was history. The people that they were writing these letters to, like the Corinthians and the Romans, they knew that there were witnesses that verified the resurrection of Jesus. It was a proven fact of history. But it's harder to see, perhaps, this second truth. And that is that the resurrection is not just a reality for Jesus, it's a reality for everyone who comes to faith in Jesus, puts their trust in Christ as the one who is their Savior, their Lord. It's your resurrection reality as well. That's what Romans 6 is about. Romans 6, which I read earlier, begins by saying, Do you not know that all who have been baptized into Christ Jesus... Now, what is that talking about? When he says baptized into Christ Jesus, I don't think he's talking directly about what we will experience later when some of the new followers of Christ will express their faith publicly by going out to the plaza and we're going to worship around them and watch them be immersed in water and brought out of the water, hence being baptized in water as a symbol of this great truth that we're studying today. But I just want you to know clearly it's not their being dunked in the water and brought out that changes them. That is a great, beautiful, symbolic, ceremonial baptism that represents what we're studying today well what happens is that you are baptized into christ jesus when you come to faith you are indwelt with his spirit you are immersed in his spirit you are indwelt with his spirit the spirit of christ comes to live in you and you are made one with christ you are totally identified with christ that's what it represents and this great truth is true of every follower of Christ. Now, how do I know that? Well, let me just give you a couple of references. They're on the screen. If you want to write them down, look them up. I'll read them to you. For example, John 14, 16, Jesus referred to this when he said in John 14, 16, I will, he says, I'm getting ready to leave, guys, and I will ask the Father and he will send you or give you another helper referring to the Holy Spirit who now abides with you, but will be in you. You see, in Old Testament times, the Spirit of God was alive and active, but the Spirit of God did not indwell every follower of God. We know that the Spirit of God sometimes was poured out upon and indwelt the prophets or the kings or key people for certain great important tasks that God wanted them to do. But it was not the experience of every follower in the Old Testament. This was something new. Jesus says, the Holy Spirit, your great divine helper, has been with you, but will be, when I go back to heaven, sent to be in you. And this is, what, uh, this is a part of what we believe happens when we say that every follower of Christ, from the moment they trust Christ, they are baptized in the Holy Spirit and that he comes to indwell them. 
How do we know it's true of just some and not just super Christians or something? Well, Romans chapter 8, verse 9 says this, The Spirit of God dwells in you. If, in, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he doesn't even belong to Christ. So we know from many other passages uh, in the Scriptures that this is something that is not for super saints or, 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 or one people, you know, some people and not other people. It's not something you earn. It's a gift from God poured out upon you as you receive His Spirit who comes to, to live in you. That's what we're talking about. Physical baptism in water is a symbol of this reality. <coughs> Excuse me. And it's true of every believer from the moment they come to faith. This water baptism, which we'll celebrate later today, represents this reality of being made one with Christ. I am a resurrected new creation. I may have the same body, but, I'm, but I become a new Dale when I came to faith in Christ. So what is this new reality? When Romans chapter 6, 3 through 5, gives us the first hints at it, okay? It, you are totally identified with Christ, and he says it's, it's as if you have been, you died with Christ. You were buried with Christ, and you're resurrected with Christ to newness of life. You're identified with, with both his death, his burial, his resurrection to, to new life. So the first thing you realize, though, is that this means I am one with Christ. We know from other passages, not right here, that the implication of that is several. Let me give you the five key implications if you want to write them down. Number one is when you are resurrected with Christ, it means you are totally forgiven. Because you have died, your sins have died with Christ on the cross. You are totally forgiven. A couple cross-references. Write down Romans chapter 4, verse 21 and following. It says, we, be, we can be fully assured, no doubt, that what God promised, he was able to also perform or deliver. He who delivered over and crucified Christ because of our sins, our transgressions, and then Christ was raised for our justification. Now, I don't want to go into depth on this because it's the main, not the main point of the sermon, but it's the foundation of my relationship with God. I don't want to miss it either. And that is, when you are totally identified with Christ, your sins have died on the cross with Christ. He paid the price, the penalty for your sin. You are totally forgiven. Past, present, future sins, all of your sin, the sin of humanity, was placed on Jesus Christ, and He, as the sinless Son of God, died for you and paid that price. It's interesting, we don't, again, have time to go into all the detail, but this idea of being justified before God. It says, now for Romans 5.1, Romans 5.1 says, now having been justified, uh, having been justified by Christ, we now have peace with God. You're at perfect peace with God. It means that Christ took all your sin and he died for it and paid the penalty, the price for it. And then Christ, actually, God gives you the very righteousness of Christ. He treats you as if you are Jesus Christ. You're totally united with him. But the second thing which this passage is emphasizing is you're not just totally forgiven, but you are alive spiritually. You are spiritually alive. I love the way he describes it. He says, you have been crucified with Christ, buried with Christ, resurrected with Christ 
to the glory of the Father so that you might walk in newness of life. You have new life. You're made a, you, you are brought to life. Ryan did a great job last week pointing out that in Ephesians chapter 2, it begins with the problem. It says, and though we were all dead in our trespasses and sins, but God made us alive in Christ by his mercy, by his grace. So you go from being spiritually dead. Yes, you're walking around, your body's functioning. But yet, if you have not come to faith in Christ, you are the incredibly, you are the walking dead. We walk, we live, we breathe, but yet spiritually we are separated from God and, and that we are spiritually dead. And what this passage teaches is, guess what? You now have life. Your spirit is born anew and you come to life in Christ. Jesus himself talked about this uh, when he made reference to the whole concept of Remember, Jesus uh, interacted with a highly religious guy named Nicodemus, a follower of the law, a guy who tried to be the best he could be. And Nicodemus talks to Jesus secretly at night, and, and, he, and he's expressing how he knows something's still missing. And he says, Nicodemus, hey, man, what you need is you've been born physically. You need to be born again. That's not a political movement the born again movement or something that's something jesus said in fact you could translate it born again or born from above you're you're born anew you've had a physical birth okay but you need a spiritual birth as well so you don't just need physical life you need spiritual life that's what's missing and jesus promises that when we come to faith we are brought spiritually alive you have new life in Christ. Number three. And this number three is the main point of the message this morning. You're not only alive in Christ, but because you are totally forgiven, totally now alive spiritually, you now have new freedom as you are resurrected with Christ. You have new freedom. He says it's so that you might walk in newness of life. Now listen to how he describes it. Pick it up again in verse 5 with me. Romans 6, 5. For if we have become united with Christ in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old self, I think the easiest way to translate that is the old you, the old you before you came to know Christ, was crucified with Christ in order that our body of sin might be done away with so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has died and, and risen is freed from sin. So, we're, you know, it says in verse 8, Now if we have died with Christ, we believe we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again. Death no longer is master over him sin and death have been conquered and that you have new freedom in christ now when i read that the first thing that pops in my mind is then why why do i still sin because you're looking at a guy that still sins you're looking at a guy that still deals with temptation you're looking at a guy and everyone else in the room uh, there's no one in this room that doesn't sin, even as a follower of Jesus Christ. Sometimes I still sin. I get tempted. I give in to that temptation for different reasons, and, and I still sin. But yet, what this passage 
It doesn't say, therefore, you are free of all sin. You'll never sin. He says, in fact, he says, sin no longer is master over you. See, before coming to Christ, uh, I'm spiritually dead, and I really don't have any power or capacity to, to really deal with temptation and the old me. And I was trapped. I was enslaved to the old Dale and to this world and to my flesh and to the, the evil one. And now, though, I have spiritual freedom. I have spiritual freedom. I'm now free to say no to sin. I'm now free to choose righteousness and a different lifestyle than I used to choose. I have freedom is the point. Now, we know that the struggle is still real for you, as it is for us as pastors. None of us would say that we've conquered this thing. So we're actually going to take another sermon next week. So make sure you don't miss next week, because we're going to go into Romans 7, which goes into more of the solutions to this struggle that we all have. But the struggle is still real. But the fact of the matter is, if I'm resurrected with Christ, I'm no longer a slave to sin. I'm no, I'm not, I have new freedom, freedom to grow, freedom to change, freedom to be transformed by the power of Christ. His Spirit lives in me, so I can begin to be more like Jesus. I can begin to actually live and walk and love like Jesus Christ. I thought about you know, an illustration of this, and then I, I, I opened my eyes this week as I was working on the sermon, and I realized the illustration was living in my own house. I have a daughter, Jamie, who lives in Sydney, Australia, and uh, we're praying that God will lead them to move back to the U.S., but that's beside the point. But right now, God has them in Sydney, and along with Jamie is my youngest of my eight grandchildren, the youngest of our grandchildren, Samuel Hebron, strange name, but he got it from me, not Burke, but Shell. Little Samuel Hebron, or better known as Sam the Man. And Sam the Man is going to be great. I can see it. I watched college football yesterday. We won't talk about the great victory that I observed, especially <laughs> with the Bennetts in the house. But, but the reality is, in spite of that, I could envision Sam someday playing football for my West Virginia Mountaineers. Yeah, we won't talk about the 40 to 14 whooping that they put. But anyway, okay, let's get back on track. But, but the reality is next week we'll get taken down by somebody, so I've got to stay humble. Uh, that's not right. Not, they're not going to be taken down. But, yeah. but I'm picturing Sam, and Sam is 13 months old. And uh, Sam, I've timed it. Sam can already do about a 4-4-40. Now, that's almost NFL caliber, right? A 4-4-40. I timed it. He can crawl 40 inches in 4.4 seconds. Yeah. See? But Sam is not walking yet. Now, I know Sam is right on the verge. Sam will stand up, and he'll be holding a toy in this hand and, and holding onto a piece of furniture. And if he wants to change, he'll just stand up, change hands, get a new toy, stand there for a while, smile like, I know you want me to walk. And then he'll just reach out and grab for it again, and he'll go around the room. But we keep trying to get Sam to walk. But Sam, so far, just will not walk. He's a crawler. He's a crawler. And you say, well, Dale, be patient. You know, in the next 
weeks or months, he'll start walking. I'm confident that he will. I didn't see any of you crawl into the room this morning to come to church. All of you are walkers as far as I can tell. You know, so, you know, but what a tragedy would be. Now, what if Sam said, you know something, ever since I came out of the womb, you know, I kind of like this crawling stuff. And I enjoy crawling because I can get where I want to go. And, and I can even this morning, I, I had this sermon, I was waiting to come to church and, and I'm watching Sam and sure enough, he took off for our stairs. And, and we got a big double flight of stairs and Sam just motored right up those stairs and went down the hallway. I just wanted to see how far he would go. He went into the bathroom and I thought, what are you going to do there, Sam? He says, well, I've already got a diaper on, don't need this, so he headed back out. But Sam is in his diaper crawling, and he's good at it. And, he, and it feels good because he feels secure. That's the only life he's known so far. Wouldn't it be tragic if someday Sam earned his diploma and crawled across the stage, checked in for his first job, crawled into the workplace, hoisted himself up onto the seat to his computer, You'd say, well, no, that, that'd be tragic. See, Sam is born to walk. In fact, he's born to run. But he needs to grow. He needs to discover that. He needs to believe first, wow, I could, I could be a walker, not just a crawler. Now, you say, Dale, that's kind of a silly story, but let me ask you something. Spiritually, are you a walker or a crawler? Do you feel like spiritually you are running with Christ, being changed into an effective Christ-like runner? Or are you walking daily with Christ, becoming more like Christ? Or spiritually, are you still kind of a spiritual crawler? See, my greatest fear is that we settle for what we're comfortable with, which is spiritually crawling. You're not made to crawl, you are made to walk and to run with Jesus Christ and to be transformed to be like him. Now the other two points of the passage we'll just give you quickly because we don't want to dwell on them. But not only can you do that, but you also have the security to stand up spiritually and start walking. And the reason you can do that is the fourth truth, and that is in verse 10. He says, for death for the death that Christ died, he died once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. Even so, now consider yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. And then verse 14 says, For sin no longer is master over you, for you are not under law, but grace. In other words, you are resurrected with Christ. Your eternity is secured by grace. If you fall... Grace will pick you up. You have a heavenly Father who loves you just the way you are. You can't do anything to earn more love of the Father. He loves you. And he wants to, to hug you. I mean, if Sam stands up and decides this week, while his mom is out of town and we're babysitting him, by the way, you know, I'm going to see if I can get him walking. Don't tell his mom I said that. But, I, but if, he, if, he, if he begins to take those first steps, wow, how exciting that'll be. But if he falls and bumps his head, what am I going to do? Am I going to scold the boy and say, Sam, man up? <laughs> Will I say that? No, what am I going to do? I'm going to pick him up, I'm going to hug him, and I'm going to help him try again. And that's the heart of your Heavenly Father, spiritually. 
And you are safe and secure in his grace. You can do nothing to lose this life that he's given you. And then on top of that, he says in verse 11, we are now alive to God for Christ. You have new purpose. Yeah, you have a reason to get out of bed. You have a reason to go to work, go to school, because you represent Jesus Christ. You can live and love like Christ more and more because you are alive in Christ. You are risen, you betcha, with him. So how do you get started? The way you get started is given to us in verse 11 through 14. And the first is the key word, consider yourself. Consider yourself. In other words, think differently. You need new thinking. Remember who you are in Christ, that you are alive. You have the power of his spirit and freedom to say no to stuff that is hurting you and hurting God called sin. You have new freedom, but you've got to begin to think like that, like Sam. Sam's got to begin to look around and say, wow, maybe I am designed to be a walker. And get up and start walking. Number two, along with new thinking, you need new choices. He says, quit presenting yourself as an instrument for unrighteousness or sinful actions and begin to present yourself as an instrument for righteousness. In other words, begin to do righteousness. Not by your own strength, but knowing that the strength comes from His Spirit that lives in you and you have what you need. Wow. You have new thinking. You have new choices. And last but not least, you have a new, very exciting motivation. That new motivation is that word that we read in verse 14 because all of this is a gift of God's grace. You don't earn it. It's a free gift from God. Christ earned it on the cross. He did it for you. He is risen. He is indeed risen. But you are too. Quit crawling in the dirt you are made to walk in newness of life father god thank you for the newness of life that you give us thank you that we are resurrected with christ to newness of life and i pray father that this would be a reality that we wake up to every single morning and I thank you that as we as your church here at Seacoast uh, go into the world to live and to love like Jesus Christ, you can transform our marriages, our families, our friendships and relationships, and you can use us in a powerful way. So make us a people that knows that we are indeed risen. We are indeed risen and alive. And it's all by your grace. In Christ's name, amen.